Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we no longer talk about Animorphs because we've already done that. But we're not ready to say goodbye to Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant. Turns out they wrote more books. What? Books that we will be reading and casually discussing? You bet. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month as we morph into the Apple Grant Book Club. Let's do it. Let's talk about front lines. Oh my god, sweet baby Jesus. Um, all right. So you've read this before. I have read the entirety of the first book before, not the trilogy. Okay, just the first one. Okay, okay. Once again, you know what happens, and I don't, and I'm scared. I, oh, <laughs> I mean, I know what happens in the first book. Right. I don't know how it all ends, and like. I kind of spoil I don't really think this is a spoiler in it's more of a not an anti-spoiler but like we don't by the end of the first book we still don't know who the narrator is okay that's kind of what I thought because this is a chonky book it's like 600 pages uh-huh. but like World War II was a big war like I don't believe it's going to be wrapped up in a 600 page book no especially no, no, no. because the section we read was largely exposition so okay all right all right all right that's encouraging i forgot so many details about this book like i (laughs) when i was rereading like the first few like the first two chapters i was like oh i remember this like with perfect clarity Uh uh-huh and then like in my mind that was like the cut where everybody got recruited but there's like there's eight chapters before everybody kind of converges onto this one decision that eventually leads to like the rest of the book. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was kind of like I know we're following three different characters, but mm-hmm. I was kind of like until they all got to the point where it's like, okay, we're all signed up, like we're we're doing this. I was like what where is this going kind of like there's <laughs> like no, i mean setup's extremely important and i enjoyed all of what i read but i was like like dude <laughs> yeah it's like it's it really makes me think that like Catherine is the timeline mastermind because she would have all of this done in like two chapters tops yes yeah Actually, yes, that's because Endling was like, bam, 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 action, 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 like downtime, action, downtime, downtime. Like, yeah, absolutely. Just like a fast paced book. I mean, it was for kind of a younger audience, but this one is like a much slower paced situation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think there's a little bit of like a disconnect there. Just because we're very much switching, you know, yeah, you know what I mean. We're switching everything. Yeah, we're, we are in a brave new world. We are, and it's it's a lot already. <laughs> it's 
it is a lot already, but like I I kind of I mean this is very much like a I feel like more of an Alex story than a Casey story. I I know I'm like reading this book and I'm like Oh, I don't know. Like summarizing this is gonna be really difficult. Oh no. Just because like like I know you're like really into war stories and like you know you, you read books about <laughs> no. the world wars for fun and like this is a very new sort of place for me like I I love it but I, this is yeah. kind of my first foray into like historical fiction kind of except for like Temeraire but that's like historical fantasy fiction yeah that's that's way different yeah. and like. Yeah, that's very different. Yeah. Also, really what what baffled me was when I got to... So there's, like, a pre-prologue that kind of gives you the setting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's, like, the prologue prologue where it's basically from the perspective of somebody we don't know, somebody who's been through the right. war. This is 1945. They're in an evac hospital. They're typing about their experiences in the war and they're kind of saying like i can't i'm not going to tell you who i am yet and like you know here's what we've all been through and like you know we're in the hospital and this is the feelings we're having blah 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 and i'm just reading this prologue i'm already getting like goosebumps and i'm crying Mm -hmm. and i'm like this is so beautifully written and intense Mm -hmm. and it's like capturing like the feeling of having gone through hell and like kind of like that quiet period after where you're kind of like, what now? Like, I don't know how to summarize this. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually didn't write a summary for it because I'm like, there's no way I'll be able to do it justice. Like, yeah, I was like, should I just fucking read the whole thing? I mean, it's like seven pages, but like, it's just, it's so good and it's such a good it's a good way to grip you into the book like if y'all mm-hmm. if y'all really liked Animorphs like the prologue like perfectly captures like the feeling of like late Animorphs for me oh absolutely and like in the first few chapters as well there's already mm-hmm. not only direct quotes from Animorphs <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> But, like, very much the feeling of, like, the middle books of Animorphs, I think. Like, yeah. we never hit that, like, goofy early book stride, but, like, they're, uh-huh. the tones are all there. Yeah. Which is, like, uh, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm scared, I'm terrified, but I'm excited. Okay, good, because I definitely thought after... Like, five minutes ago when we started this discussion, I thought you were going to be like, I didn't like any of this. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm so scared. I'm sorry. I, I led you astray. No, I really, I really liked it. I have, I have, like, a character that I don't really like yet, but I imagine I will. And I'm just, I'm scared. I'm scared for these women. Mm-hmm. In, like, a way that I am i wasn't scared for the Animorphs. I'm scared for these women because it is, like, 1940s. It kind of sucks to be a woman. It especially sucks to be a black woman in this time period. Mm-hmm. You are entering a male-dominated field where there's already lots of 
really bad shit that happens. And I'm scared yeah. for them for, like, woman reasons, you know what I mean? Because, <laughs> like, we know... Oh, th- my God, yeah. Yeah, like, we know they're going to go through hell with, like, wars and battles and seeing, like, you know, you know, people that need patching up and, like, all these, you know, the concentration camps and all this horrible shit that they foreshadowed. But, like, I don't want anything bad to happen to them from, like, it's dangerous to be a woman surrounded by a bunch of army dudes kind of way. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And, like, not that we... There's no taste of that already, but, like, there's certainly... I mean... Discussions where, like, they bring it up. Yeah. And, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just... And, like, this is nothing against Michael. This is just, like, a general, like book thing but like I get nervous about male authors writing women characters Mm -hmm. and not that I don't think Michael will do a really good job or like treat certain things with as much respect as he can as like a white man but like I'm just I'm just nervous (laughs) I don't know (laughs) I'm apprehensive about what's going to go down Uh. yeah and like I only know what's going on in this first book. Yeah. Books two and three are going to be a total surprise to me too. So uh-huh. like, I'm like, I can, I can reassure you with what I can for book one. But once we're out of that, it's, I am, I, we're yeah. in new territory and I have no idea. Yeah. And I was like, but, I was yeah. trying to go on Storygraph and look up uh, content warnings for this book. There's none. Like nobody's written any yet. <laughs> Nobody's reported any yet. And I'm like, okay, I guess strap in. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Like that, this is why, like, this is so wild to me that like when we were talking to Michael Grant and he was talking about how like this book is kind of like not really one of his well-known ones at all. Uh-huh. And I was like shocked by that with how like engaging and interesting it is and like how good the concept is. But yeah, like really, there's there's nothing on these books out there. Uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's just wild. I mean I mean, I feel like we got some people to read Endling because of our podcast, so maybe yeah. we can get some people to read Frontlines because of our podcast. Oh my god, I hope so. I truly hope so. Like I would be really interested to hear it. Because like we're reading it from a perspective of like this is women going into war and so i feel like where we're gonna like have our strengths is obviously just talking about from like the women's perspective i really hope that dan reads this and gives us the military perspective <gasps> yeah so that would be that would be badass yeah oh that's a good point yeah oh that'd be fun that would be a lot of fun i'd be really interested in knowing um let me see. I believe I also checked the back of the book. Okay, there's a little there's a little bibliography in the back, so all sorts Okay, of- I have it digitally. This is one of the few that I don't have oh, really? red copies of. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I mean, I've been meaning to buy a hard copy of it, but like then I went to do it and I was like, Oh, it's I have my Kindle that I just charged. Nice. 
I'm just going to read it there. And then I was like, I'll buy back two. I'll buy book two as a hard copy. And then it was like, you already bought book two. It's on your Kindle. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> damn it. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, well. I mean. Yeah. Big, big book. Big books. One, hey, Christmas is coming up. Christmas maybe is coming up. Christmas. There's probably a box set. Maybe. Although maybe probably. not. I don't know. I bet there is. I hope so. All right. Uh, shall I attempt to summarize this book? There's yeah. There's a fucking lot. There's so much. I I have been so scared about the summaries of of these books. Yeah, I'm scared too. <laughs> and what I had to do was I read it just like straight through, and then I went back mm-hmm. and like took notes and read it so I could just like pick out the things that I thought were really important. But, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of fucking info and exposition and things that do seem important. So, uh, we'll do our best. Hey, you know what one of my favorite parts of the book was? Huh. Now that you kind of know who I am as a person, anybody listening to the things that come out of my mouth, <laughs> they tell you how to pronounce all the fucking names in this book. <laughs> loves that me too wow (laughs) (laughs) there's no calliopes in here no calliopes in this one my friends oh jesus (laughs) i fucking love that Um, okay, so how we're gonna be breaking up this book is um, because it's such a fucking big boy um it's we're breaking it up into six parts so if y'all want to read along with us i don't actually know what the ebook pages are so i'm just going to say from the beginning prologues to chapter eight is part one chapter eight to chapter 14 will be part two um chapter 14 to part two in the book it says part two which would be uh oh god there's an interstitial fuck (laughs) (laughs) anyway there's a big fucking page with like a plane on it it says part two so chapter 14 to part two all caps is part three (laughs) so confusing i you're killing it i'm following so i think i'm murdering it not killing whatever you Um, you were doing so good okay part two all caps to chapter 25 is part four chapter 25 to chapter 32 part five chapter 32 to the end is part six that's how we're doing it i'm sorry if that was confusing it's it was not confusing and then for today we'll be talking about the pre-prologue the prologue and then chapters one through eight yes cool all right so like i said there's a couple prologues in here um the first prologue is like our pre-prologue setting and basically it's like it's 1942 we're three years into world war ii millions are dead london's been just demolished um the germans are sinking ships and have conquered the western soviet union um and the holocaust is happening and shit's bad um the united states has not entered the fight at this point until the attacks at pearl harbor if anybody knows history um 
Adolf Hitler is dismissive of the Americans, thinking they are unwilling and unable to fight. He is mistaken. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, and then there's another sort of prologue thing. It's a bunch of news snippets. Um, there's one from 1940 where the U.S. Supreme Court has decided to extend the draft to all U.S. citizens regardless of gender. Um, and the second one is from the NBC newsroom in 1941 announcing the attack on Pearl Harbor. And the third is a brief from Winston Churchill commending the United States for finally joining the war. So this is all of our sort of, this is the scene. This is the setup, you know. A little history mm-hmm. lesson for, for those who need a refresher. Um, <laughs> yep. Okay, so this is where we get the prologue prologue actually getting us into the story. And this is the one where it's an anonymous person. They are at uh, the 107th EVAC hospital in Wurzburg, Germany in April of 1945. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to you reading it straight through, uh, honestly. I can, I can do that. If you're willing, yeah. I would not be opposed. Okay, I can do that. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm not going to tell you my name. Not right away. I'm in this story, and you'll see plenty of me. But I don't want to tell you the story in a way that makes it about me. I don't expect you'll understand that, gentle reader. So let me try to explain it like this. I'm not the hero of this tale. I'm just alive to tell it. As I type this, I'm sitting here safe in this hospital, waiting on the official announcement that we have won this war. I'm here alongside a bunch of other women and girls hurt as bad or worse than me, some a hell of a lot worse. All around me are women with stumps of arms or legs wrapped up in tight white bandages or casts, women with half their bodies covered in gauze, women who can't hear or can't see or who are glad that they can't see so they don't have to look at themselves in a mirror. Some are on their cots, some are in wheelchairs, some are just standing, staring out of the dark, dirty windows. We play cards sometimes, we listen to the radio, We talk about home, about boys and husbands. We wait. It's funny that they keep the men and the women separate here because we weren't separate up on the front line. But they're just across the hall from us now, the guys. The people running this place tell us we aren't to fraternize, but we are all of us done taking orders. So we stumble or shuffle or roll ourselves over there evening after evening because they've got a piano and some of the boys can play and some of the girls can sing. No smoking, no drinking, no fraternizing with the opposite sex. Those are the rules. So naturally, we smoke, drink, and fraternize most evenings. (laughs) I do like that quote a lot. (laughs) At night, we cry sometimes. And if you think that just applies to the females, then you have never been in combat. Because everyone cries sooner or later. Everyone cries. We are the first generation of female soldiers in the American army. Lucky us. My sisters in arms are still out there right now, flushing out the last German strongholds, and more of us will die. This war isn't over yet, but my part of it is. Anyway, I've had this feeling nagging at me, this feeling that once they declare the end of the war, all my memories of it will start to leak away, to, be- to fade and become lost. Will you understand, gentle reader, if I tell you that this is something I both long for and dread? There's a typewriter here, and I've taught myself to be pretty quick on it. There isn't much else to do, and I want to get it all down on paper before the end. The snap of keys striking the page soothes me. Is that because the sounds are something like the noise of gunfire? That'd be something, wouldn't it? For the rest of my life, I'm going to hear a typewriter and be back on some beach or in some freezing hole? Well, let's not get too deep. How about I just tell the story? I'm going to be just as honest as I can about each of the people in it. I knew these women and men. I sat many a long hour in troop ships and foxholes and on leave, drinking beer and swapping stories. There isn't much about them I don't know, 
and what I don't know, well, I'll make up. But I'll be as close to truth as any war story can be. I'm in a fever to tell it all right before it fades, before I start to rewrite the truth and make it more acceptable to myself and you. See, gentle reader, I know the rules of war stories. I know I'm supposed to present a tale of patriotism, of high-minded motives and brave deeds, hardships endured with a stiff upper lip and a wry grin. I'm supposed to tell you about brotherhood, and now sisterhood, of soldiers. But there's one thing I, can, I cannot do as I pound these typewriter keys, and that is lie. My body is damaged, my mind is too full, my soul is too raw. The things I saw and did are too real. If you're looking for the kind of story that will puff you up with an easily reflected pride, I am not your girl. If, as you read this, you come to admire these soldiers, I want it to be because you know them with all their strengths, or with all their weaknesses as well as with their strengths. You might imagine that any war story must be all about righteous hatred of the enemy. And yes, you'll hear some of that. I was at the camps. I was there. I saw. So hate? Sure, I'll show you some hate. There will be hate. But I suspect over time the hate will fade, and it will be the love that lingers. The love of the women or man standing next to you in the hole. The desperate love of a home that seems further away with each squeeze of the trigger. The fragile love of the person you hope or hoped to spend the rest of your life with. A moment ago I reached the end of a page and ripped it from the machine, and in trying to insert the next sheet I made a mess of it. My fingers shook a little. I feel jacked up, high and wild, a twanging nerve, a guitar string tightened and tightened until it's got to break till you kind of wish it would just break. I'm sweating, and it isn't hot. But as long as I keep hitting these keys, as long as I don't stop, maybe that will all pass. I don't know. We are the first great generation of young American women to fight in a great world war. Warrior women is what the newspapers like to say. But when it all began three years ago, we were not any kind of women. We were girls, mostly. And with the wry mockery that comes so easily to men and women at war, we make up our own headline and call ourselves... Not warrior women, but soldier girls. As I sit here pounding feverishly on these keys, I feel as if I am all of them. Every soldier girl who carried a rifle, dug a hole, slogged through mud, steamed or froze, prayed or cursed, raged or feared, ran away or ran towards. I am Rio Ricklin. I am Frangie Marr. I am Rainy Shilterman and Janu Castain and Kat Preeling. As long as I'm pounding these keys, I'm all of them. This is the story of what happened to a few of us who ended up on the front lines of the greatest war in human history. Anyway, that's that. <laughs> oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's just so good. Oh my god. It just it feels like it's it feels like Michael and Catherine talking to us and being like, War's not about patriotism, it's about getting fucked up for life. You motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it too. Ugh. I really do. I mean, I like uh, I like how this really explores just even just this beginning bit really explores a little bit deeper like the same sort of messages that that they had an Animorphs about, like, you know, war is not good or happy. And, you know, this is, we're getting the snapshot of the end of the war where it doesn't, there's no good guy, there's no bad guy, there's all gray, everybody's damaged, nobody escapes unscathed. But then there's, like, just more discussion about it, like, from the perspective of, like, we didn't get out just because we won and just because we're not at the battle anymore, we didn't get out. Yep. I love that shit. 
I love that fucking show. It's so good. <laughs> and, like, I want to know how it compares to other war stories that you've seen. Like, are, are a lot of them, do the, a lot of them treat them with the gravity that, that the situation deserves? Or are most of them, like, don't fuck with the USA, you German fucks, or anything like that? I don't know. Um, I mean, when I'm reading, like, I don't read a lot of, of fiction uh-huh. books, like World War One and Two fiction books, yeah. but I've never read a single one that's been like, USA, we're the best, go USA. Every single book I've ever read has just been, it's horrible yeah everything about this is horrible it's difficult it's hard you don't know if you're going back to your family and then um in particular with the world war ii books it's a lot of like i thought shit was bad and then i got to the concentration camp yeah and i had no fucking idea what bad was until i saw that yeah like it's it's always about, like, the human level of it, like, the gravity of the situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and I feel like that would be different if I was, like, this is where I feel like I'm a little different from, like, the dads that are into Band of Brothers, which is also <laughs> a, a great, amazing series. This is not a dig on Band of Brothers at all. But, like, the dads that, like, read the, like, you know, this is Patton's knowledge of blah, 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 yeah. blah. Like, I feel like that's a different level. That's, like, let's talk about strategy and government and, like, things like this. Right. And, like, my, where I'm interested is very much the level of, like, here's an individual person that actually saw through yeah. the shit that was going on. Yeah. I don't know. <sighs> I just... So there's a new Call of Duty that's coming out, which I think it's mm-hmm. Call of Duty Vanguard, and it's basically, like... World War Two, the game, and it just it kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, like, cause I, I don't know. Like, if it's a, like, oh, this is a fake war on like an alien planet, or if this is like sort of adjacent to like a real war that's happening in our world in our time period. Like, maybe it's not great, but it's like, okay, I can understand that. But, like, doing a historical reenactment where you're, like, actively out, like, killing... I don't know. Like, it just... It feels not great to me. Yeah. Something about that pitch right there feels bad. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I know so little about video games to begin with. I mean, fuck Nazis and everything. Yeah. But I just, I don't know. Oh, man. It's just not to delve back into the book. We're talking <laughs> I'm sorry. About. I, talking about. We should absolutely delve no, back no. into the book. <laughs> I do. I, I'm, I very much will talk to you about this and, and am appreciating this train of thought. But, like, I totally forgot how um heart-wrenching it was just reading rainy's perspective from the start oh my god yeah rainy yeah oh shit 
Okay, hang on. We we have to backtrack and talk about these characters. Can we do that? Like before we start, yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about like the three characters we're following. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, because I want to know who you connected with and who you didn't. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 okay. So the first one is is uh, Rio Ricklin. Yeah. I like her a lot. I, I know, I know what her arc is going to be. And I know why uh-huh. she is the way she is. But of the three, she is my least favorite so far. Totally fair. Totally fair. Yeah. Um, and then it was Franny Marr was Frangie. next. Frangie. Frangie Marr. Frangie. Frangie Marr. Yeah. Love her. Um, Adore her. Yeah. Like, <laughs> her... Oh God. Her fucking situation is, like, just so shitty. Like... <laughs> yeah. Like... Her just her reason for enlisting is just so different from the other two, and it's it's purely out of necessity, and it just it fucking sucks. Her conversation with Dune killed me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh no. <laughs> like that brought home so much of the reality of of what her situation yeah. is. Yeah. Oh shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then the last one that we check in with is Rainy Schulsterman. Who only has one chapter, whereas the others have several. But, like, Mm -hmm. it packs a punch. It fucking... Oh, my God. Okay, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, it fucking did. And, like, it's... It's so wild. Yeah. It is so wild. Her entire chapter, like, I've read it before, and even so, like, I was like, this all happened in one chapter? Like, it's a roller coaster. Yeah. (laughs) So much. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And then we haven't been introduced to Kat yet, but... Zeno is is in Zeno. Rio Rickland's. Yeah. Zeno. It gives you pronunciation guides. I, I said Zeno. So I I leaned hard into the ZH. Okay. Zeno. <laughs> okay. I is that like is that like me speaking French badly or is that like Quebecian French versus European French? Oh god, who knows? <laughs> Oh no! Who the fuck knows? I, was like... I went. I I just went hard with the pronunciation guide there. Okay. So I was like, "Listen, I'm not gonna fuck this well, up. I'm gonna say it how it's said in the book." Well, so, <laughs> I don't speak French, but I know like 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 Jacques. Like like I guess that that right. is a Z. That is a Z. Yeah. If so, I was gonna Geno, go like Geno. instincts, like say say Geno with a French accent, Geno. it would be Geno. Geno. Yeah, that's that's where I went. Zeno. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> it might be like a fucking um God, what was the the stupid Darren that we didn't like? Maxon? Yeah, Maxon. I, I Maxine, might, Maxine. Yeah, yeah. I might I might just end up doing yeah. that for, for Zeno. Because <laughs> I just But if you're gonna be talking like, because when they shorten it 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 would be like Jen American, but if that like Jin is yellow in French, so if you're gonna go with that, Jeanneau makes perfect sense and shorten it to Jin. 
Yeah. Well, and, like, the thing about the names in this book was that, like, none of them had what I think of as, like, conventional American names. But then again, this was the 40s, so maybe it was just, like, way different back then. Nobody was named Brittany back then or anything like that. Um, no, I th- I think you're absolutely right. Even Rio, I've never heard that name before. Yeah, and I, again, this could be completely ignorant, but, like, I read her as, like, Latina or, like, Hispanic, kind of, with a name like Rio, but I don't think she is. No, I think she's just, like, white bread American. White bread. Yeah. I Yeah, I anyway. Like, bread, like, B-R-E-A-D. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I'm looking up Rio name. I don't know. Maybe it... Rio is a girl's name of Spanish, Portuguese, Japanese origin. Yeah, there you okay. go. Okay, so I wasn't being like stupidly ignorant white person. I I don't know. <laughs> no, you were right. I don't know if Portugal or Spain were in Latin. Anyway, it's not uh, whatever. Not not white bread is what I was trying to say anyway let's meet rio anyway i guess yeah let's talk about rio ricklin oh my god this first chapter was so upsetting as an animal (laughs) yes this is the (laughs) oh no michael you can't do this um so rio ricklin is 16 years old. She lives in Judwell Falls, California with her parents. Um, she is currently getting chastised by her mother for taking sugar for her coffee. Because there's a war on. There's a sugar shortage. And her mom needs that sugar to make a birthday cake for Rio's sister, Rachel. Um, and let's see. What else? Her father owns a feed store. I That might be important. Um, and Rio's basically like... She's just kind of chilling. She's pretty convinced she's going to live the rest of her youth in her very tiny California town. Um, and she doesn't really know what to do with her life. And she eventually thinks she'll get married and have a kid and become a housewife. Um, her best friend, Zinu, uh, is like, oh, you should marry somebody with money and looks. And those are the most important things. So that's kind of like where her future projections of herself are at. Um but despite all of these assumptions about herself, Rio feels, like, somewhat off about the whole thing. Like, it's an outfit that doesn't really fit her and isn't her color. Great quote, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, this all just kind of feels like, this is what's expected of me. This is probably what's going to happen, but I'm not super jazzed about it. But in the present, she is packing up her bag to go to leave for school, and she's ready to go out the door, but her father is blocking the way. And she kind of jokes like, hey, dad, like, move out of the way. Some of us have places to go. Um, but when she sees what he's looking at, he, she sees a young boy in a delivery uniform showing up with a telegram for them. Which in wartime is very bad news. Um, the dad looks very apprehensive about this. And Rio knows what's going on before he even opens the telegram. He tears it open. And there's this terrible silence and the whole world freezes because the telegraph reads, the Navy Department deeply regrets to inform you that your daughter, Rachel Ricklin, was killed in action in the performance of her duty and the service of her country. So, yay! Jeez. <laughs> Christ! And of course, 
her mom comes out at that moment and she realizes what's going on and she just sinks to her knees saying like, no, 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 not my baby, please, no. Her dad just sinks against the door frame, just stock still, and it's just the worst fucking thing ever. Um, and eventually he just says, he just says he has to go open the store and he just leaves and Rio has to physically lift her mother up off the ground to take her inside and she's going to go make a cup of tea because isn't that what people do for moments like these when sisters die? Um, and she decides to serve the tea in the good silver because that only comes out for rare occasions and she couldn't bear to serve the tea out of a chipped and mismatched teapot. Um, and her mother is like, oh, Rachel's with Jesus now. And Rio finds herself getting really angry at the Japanese for bombing Pearl Harbor and for starting this war. And she wants to kill them and the Germans too for what they did to her sister. And she just can't believe that Rachel did her part in the war. And she's just sitting here with her stupid math homework doing nothing. And her mom tells her to shut up and stop that line of thinking, and she couldn't stand it if Rio went off to war, too. Um, Rio thinks of her father, who must have reached the store by now, who is, and he's being a man and refusing to cry because crying is reserved for women. And she thinks of the service flag that hangs outside their door with the blue star to show that they have a family member in service. Um, and the blue star is going to have to be replaced with a gold one, which means they have made the ultimate sacrifice and it will be the first in Jedwell Falls. And she thinks, like, how does that even work? Does the government send you a new flag? Do you have to do the sewing by yourself? And then she thinks, if she's drafted, their flag's going to have a blue and a gold star. She assures her mother that she's not yet 18 and not eligible, but her mother has sunk into silence. And they sit together for a while until the news spreads and people start showing up with sympathy. The sad and somber rituals of war have arrived in Jedwell Falls. So that's chapter fucking one. Jesus Christ, Michael. <laughs> oh, man. I, one of my favorite parts about that chapter, and I, listen, it captures a lot of the feelings. And, like, he confirmed it, so I don't feel like this is, like, I'm going to make a wild speculation, right. blah, blah, blah. It absolutely captures a lot of the feelings of, like, this is one of Rachel's sisters Uh after they find out Rachel was killed Uh on the ship. Like, there's almost a beautiful, wonderful, perfect transition into, like, this is Jordan, this is Sarah. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's wow. But, like, that feeling of when somebody dies in a situation like this, like, I've always found that, like, when someone that I'm close to dies or like, even when it's like an animal that I'm like super close to, that's what my mind does immediately. Well, where are we going to get this flag? How does this happen? How does, I've never known this before. And like that like lost train of thought was like, it just hit so hard for me. Yeah. Like you start making preparations in your mind. And I think maybe it's, you know, part of the reason your mind does that is to kind of take like disconnect you from what has just happened. Mhm. Like yeah, especially when like somebody else is breaking down. Yeah. It's like it's like okay, I have to be the responsible yeah. one. I have to figure all this shit out cuz everyone else is <laughs> unable to do this. Right. Right. I'm the only one that can take care of this right yeah. now and Yeah, it's it's wild. Yeah. 
Uh, oh, shit. There was something I was going to mention at the beginning and completely forgot. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is just something I wanted to do at the beginning of the podcast. Um, he, uh, Michael's author's note says, I write fiction. In writing this piece of fiction, I have attempted to actu- accurately capture the flavor and the feel and as much detail of actual historical events as is practical. But any conflicts between my versions of the event and the work of historians should be unquestionably be be resolved in favor of the worthy academics. In the course of portraying the attitudes and notions of social justice prevalent in the United States in these days, I have used language and portrayed attitudes that all good people would now find abhorrent. But it was another time, and I can't whitewash history. In those days, racism and sexism and anti-Semitism were right out there in the open. Some people had begun to see beyond those destructively irrational notions, as it was very much a work in progress. Uh, the generation that won World War II saved the world. No, really saved the world, but they were not saints. So I just wanted to quickly add that in, you know, as we see Rio, like, getting mad and, like, wanting to kill the Japanese and kill the Germans and, like, you know, like... And especially before we get to Frangie's chapter. Right, like, there's... His... There's not, like, the N-word or anything in here. I hope there won't be. No. But, like... There, there is some antiquated terms in this book, just so everybody knows. Like, is what I'm and ultimately some... trying to get to. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's, it's not, it is not, um, changed to be PC for uh-huh. this day and uh-huh. age. There is some insane behavior in this book that is so wildly racist and inappropriate. Yep. So yeah, I just wanted to quickly bring that up before we got much further. Yeah, no, that's that is uh, very smart, and it also makes me. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'll go on. Okay, so now we are at. <laughs> unless you had anything else about this chapter. No, no. Okay, no. Let's keep. Cool. Sorry, this is very going. discombobulated. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Okay. Um, so now we are at a diner with Rio and her best friend, Zinu. 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 J-E-N-O-U. Um, and the latter of whom is complaining about how boring their town is while tossing her pretty blonde hair and attracting the attention of the nearby boys. <gasps> oh, no. Um, Rio herself is looking at a boy named Strand Braxton. <laughs> Strand. It's the worst name. Oh, my- there's. Do you remember the Amanda show? On yes, Nickelodeon? I do. Amanda, 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 Amanda. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was like a variety show, and she did. She yeah. did like a parody of Dawson's Creek called Moody's Point, and like the bad boy love yes. interest was named Sternum. <laughs> and like whenever I see a name that's like clearly like a dumb soap opera name, I'm just like, <laughs> I always think of Sternum. <laughs> Oh, apologies if your name is Strand. Mm. I'm sure you're a wonderful person. Or Sternum. Or I'm Sternum. sorry if your name is Sternum. I apologize for your parents, though, in that oh, case. No. <laughs> now I feel bad. What if there's somebody... They're clearly fans of the Amanda oh, show. Oh, no. There's somebody listening to our podcast being like, my name's Strand. Fuck these people. What if they're like, my name's Sternum? How dare they? <laughs> this is a perfectly good name. Oh, no. Uh, oh well apparently i went after the name jeff the other week oh, so you did? not that i remembered oh no 
Jeff message Jeff private beloved Jeff friend of the podcast has been on this podcast before listens to our podcast he messaged me private message me he goes wow Alex this I turned on this week's episode of horse girls and I was not happy (laughs) I was like like, oh why that's too bad he's like you fucking came after my name you said Jeff was a terrible, boring name. Oh, wasn't there a character <laughs> in Heartland named Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> that you were yeah, talking Ty's about? Friend. And I said Ty's friends have shitty, boring names <laughs> that no one cares about. And one of them was Jeff. Oh, no. So apparently I have no qualms about just scorched earth policy with everyone. Oh, no. <laughs> Listen. I'm sorry, Jeff. I didn't mean it. Listen, everyone, mean you. everyone on the podcast listening to this, if we come after your name, we're not coming after you. We're just coming after your name that other people are also named. So it's not, we're not mad at you. <laughs> it's other people's fault for having your name and being shittier oh, at no, it than you. It's terrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're all lovely people. All right. Anyway, Strand. Strand Braxton. Um, she's checking him out. He's checking her out. It's all great. Um, Genu informs her that she shouldn't bother because Strand is taking Hillary to the dance. And fucking Hillary. Fucking Hillary. Always getting in the way. Um, mm-hmm. A waitress comes by and Genu tries to order a cheeseburger, but there is no cheese because, in case you missed the memo, there's a war on. Um, Janu makes an offhanded joke about how, oh, now the war's getting serious, but then realizes that she was being insensitive and apologizes to Rio, who just lost her fucking sister. Um, (laughs) and then the waitress also is like, oh yeah, I heard about that. Sorry about that. And Rio realizes that she is now the girl that everybody has to pity. And she hates that and would just like to be normal for a bit and flirt with boys. Um... They get hamburgers instead, and Rio tells Janu that she found one of Rachel's journals in her room, but she hasn't had the courage to read it. Because what if Rachel just filled the pages with thoughts and complaints about her annoying little sister? Janu's like, dude, you don't have to joke around with me. And Rio says that she heard once that you have a choice in life between a comedy and a tragedy, and you can't choose what happens, but you can choose how to deal with it. Hello, Marco! (laughs) Hi, Marco. I'm... Welcome. <laughs> Marco's here. Welcome to this war, bro. Oh, no. The ghost of Marco. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, my God. He's here. Fucking Michael. <laughs> I like... Like, so... I don't know what prompted me to pick up this book and read it, because it was not at all related to the podcast at the right. time. It was just like... I, I like I truly don't know what happened, but I, I found this book. I'm like, it's Michael Grant. Obviously I love Michael yeah. Grant. And like I just remember reading through these first couple chapters and just being like absolutely blown away. Like, holy shit. Like this is like the direct what happens after Animorphs. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not. It's not at all. But like there's just so much of that tone yeah. that no matter what the story is, it feels feels like uh-huh. it and i just i love that i love that mm-hmm. yeah <sighs> me too shit so my problem with everything that i've read from Catherine and michael is that it's so fucking good 
that if I read another book that's not as good, I get angry about it, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. It's awful. Ugh. It's like I'm an acqu- I have an acquired taste to, to Apple Grant, and it cannot... It's like, it's like that episode of Invader Zim where Gaz tastes pork in everything. But, like, it's a good thing. But it's a bad thing. I don't know. I'm dying. No, I I get it. I I truly get it because like it I always wonder about those like apps that are like, "We'll tell you what to read next if you like this." Because like, I'll go read something and I'm always like, "Yeah, this was all right, but like it was no Catherine and Michael." I know. <laughs> You've tasted the finest food and now everything else just tastes like shit. Yeah, that's why it kills me when, like, when I tell people, like, oh, I do an Animorphs podcast, or, I mean, I basically at this point just say, yeah, I've centered my entire adult life around this children's series, Animorphs. (laughs) And, like, (laughs) it's kind of true. It's a little bit true, though. Um, And then people are like, oh, that's ridiculous. Like, that's, like, people mock me for it. And I'm like, you don't fucking understand. Like, I can immediately tell if people, have read the books or not by their reaction. And it's not because it's like, oh, yeah, I, I saw that series when I was a kid. They're either like, that's so stupid. The- and I'm like, oh, okay, so you didn't read it. You don't know. Well, are these friends or strangers? Both. Get some new friends. Both. I have. I have. <laughs> Kick them to the curb. <laughs> they literally have. This They're a deal breaker. <laughs> I straight up have. Like, oh literally gotten a new group of friends yeah. from Animorphs, and they're, like, the best fucking people I've ever met, so... They are! Uh, surround yourself with the people. Surround, seriously, surround yourself with... This is not the time for me to tell you guys a heartwarming story, but surround yourself with the people who make you happy. That's It's fucking wild. Make yourself a garden (laughs) of friendship. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. It's it's wild. I can't explain to you how good it feels. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ugh. Well, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, there. There you go. In the middle of our war book, let's just talk about love a little bit. Love is the greatest power of all. No. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Rio says some deep shit. And Janu mocks her for it. Um, and Rio confesses that she's always felt very shallow. But unlo- unlike Rachel, who's had goals and ambitions. And Rio was just some silly girl. And Janu's less pretty friend. And Janu assures her that she's not less pretty, but she is less sexy. And they laugh together. Um, <laughs> this, okay, I, this entire chapter, it feels like a very discombobulated set of dialogue and they keep like changing topics and inserting like weird, like offhanded things and then going back to the main point. And like, from a literary point, I kind of hated it, but from like how a conversation actually happens in real life, it felt very realistic. Yeah. So if it seems discompobulated, that's because it is, and because I'm insane. It is. So. No, no, not at all. It's it. It very much broke the mold of like 
how books work. Yeah. How books do. Yeah. Not this. Yeah. Um, so after laughing about how Rio is not sexy, um, Janu switches the, the topic and she says if she were to enlist in the military, she would want to go to the army. Rio's like, what the hell? You've never mentioned this before. And Janu says, well, this town is boring. I did just say the town is really boring. Eventually the world. She did. Yep. The war's going to go to France, a.k.a. Paris, a.k.a. her favorite place ever. Um, and she's like, Rio, have you ever thought about enlisting? And Rio says she's too young, but Janu says that it's easy to fake that. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, just forge a little, little paper. Back when your birth certificates used to be like a fucking <laughs> printed off paper card and written in pencil. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> my fake COVID vaccine card. Anyway. <laughs> wah, wah. Uh, Rio jokes that her mother would lock her in the barn, but she realizes that she doesn't totally hate this conversation and she doesn't totally want to shut Janu up. And she kind of wants to keep talking about it. Um, Janu reveals that Strand got his draft notice and he ships out next week. And Rio looks over at him and she realizes he looks older than he did before, but he still looks way too young for a helmet and rifle. Janu mm-hmm. says, if you volunteer, you can choose where to go. And if you get drafted, you go right to the front lines. Rio has heard this before from her dad, who was in the last war. And he says that that was bullshit. And the army just sends you anywhere they want, which I would believe him over Janu, but whatever. Um, oh, a thousand percent. <laughs> I would believe him first. Guy that was actually in the army yeah. versus teen girl. Teen girl who knows <laughs> nothing of the world. Yes. Um, but Rio says if she was drafted, she'd want to go to the front. Janu asks her if it would be for revenge, and Rio doesn't think that that's the whole reason. She just wants to do her part. And she feel it, She feels like Janu is tempting her, and she recalls the feeling of wanting to do something crazy and reckless. She mentions that this is the first war they're letting girls fight, and they should make a good example of themselves. Why should Strand get hurt and not her? Janu says that she doesn't need convincing, and there are advantages to being far from home and surrounded by sexy dudes. And she figures that they're, they're not going to send women to the front lines. They're going to be answering phones and typing forms. Uh, she predicts the war will last another year at most. And her plan is to sit in an office and scope out hot guys. <laughs> oh, you sweet summer child. I, like, can I just talk about how much I fucking love her perspective of how the war is going to go? <laughs> oh, no. Because it's so buck wild. It's... Like. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. I mean. <laughs> like, we know what happened. And we're, I'm just like, you fucking idiot. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> oh. Like, it's hard to find somebody who knows less than me. But she <laughs> knows less than me. Oh, no. <laughs> but, like. Also, I was having feelings of, like, she thinks the war is only going to last another six months to a year. Remember when we all thought COVID was only going to be, like, a couple months? Like... Right, because you can only operate on the information you have. And when that's the information given to you... So it's like, I can't come down on her too hard, but also... Ah! Like, I... Listen, I can't... I can't come down on her hard at all, because, like... Especially with the time period, Mm -hmm. like, 
what real thought like oh i'm going to inherit this house and i'm going to raise babies and be the fifth person to like knead bread on this countertop that you can see the way yeah like that's what they're expecting and like yeah i totally know why she thinks that that's gonna go the way it is but like it's so fucking buck wild. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. No. No, it's not. No. No. Honey, no. <laughs> Honey, no. <laughs> but I love it so much. Like, honestly, it's such a true perspective of, like, oh, man. this is so what a teen girl would think. You know, that's kind of true. It's, yeah. So. Yepers. <laughs> so they finish up their their very sad hamburgers. Apparently this was like extremely like paper thin fucking worst hamburgers ever. Um, and they fuck off and walk through the square of their small town. And they kind of describe the town a little bit. There's like grocery store and a gas station and all sorts of shit. Um, they part ways and Rio starts to head off alone. And then she realizes that strand is running after her and she tries to act casual um, he kind of runs up to her and, and he's like, oh yeah, uh, I've been drafted and also I'm very sorry to hear about Rachel. And she's like, thanks. And she asks him if he's worried and he, what? <laughs> sorry. It's fucking <laughs> no, it, was, it, it wasn't you. It was just the whole, I'm sorry about Rachel. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> like, and that's, that's kind of how it went down in the book too. It was just, it was just very funny the way you said it. Okay, thanks. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> sorry oh no um so yeah she asked him if he's worried about being drafted and he kind of very obviously fakes his nonchalance like you can tell he's like freaking out a little bit um mm-hmm. and she says well maybe i'll see you there because i'm enlisting too and then she kind of inwardly goes what the fuck why did i say that um strand is a little taken aback by this and then he goes well i guess that ruins my plans because apparently everyone else was going to have a girl to write home to and maybe she would like to see a movie with him tomorrow night and then they could write to each other while he's away. So basically, will you be my girlfriend? Um, Rio says she assumes soldiers can write to each other and she's still acting pretty nonchalant about all of this, but she's still freaking out and being like, I have to take this back. I fucked up. This is crazy. What am I doing? Um, Strand is like, hey, yeah, we can write to each other and it's not like you're going into the trenches or anything. So do you want to go to a movie with me? And she says yes. He walks her home like a good gentleman, and she can't believe she upended her entire life because her best friend and the guy she likes convinced her. She's going on a date and also going to war. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I just, I know, I know what her purpose is. She is the young, naive white girl who's, Think she's gonna have just like a whatever time in the war. I know she's gonna go to the fucking front lines and just fucking get her ass handed to her, and that's gonna be her character arc. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Someone to grasp onto in the rest of this wild book. <laughs> yep. Huh. All right, let's meet our second character. Uh, Yay, Rangie Mar. Uh, She is 17 years old, and she's living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, Her mother, a seamstress, is currently at the sewing machine and telling her she doesn't want Frangie to go to war. Frangie says she has to because if she doesn't, the family will end up on the street. 
Her mother wants her to go to college, and even though Frangie wants to, to become a doctor, she knows she's at a disadvantage because she is black. Her mother insists there used to be black doctors and lawyers in Tulsa, and Frangie brings up that there were, but then white people rioted and burned everything down in what we now know as the Tulsa Race Massacre of the mm-hmm. 1920s, I believe. Um, her, mo- yep. her mother, who has lived through that, quickly shuts down that conversation. Um, and she insists that black people being called to war is going to mean something, but Frangie laughs and says she's not going to war because of that. She's going to war because her dad can't work. Um, we find out he's got his hip crushed in a workplace accident and received an absolutely pitiful severance and now spends a lot of his time listening to radio plays. Frangie's brother should be the one going to war. He's 21, but he moved north and became a communist and an atheist who rejects religion, and he is no longer welcome in the house. Um, Which is wild. I mean, mean, it's it's of the time. It's just wild. Yeah. I don't know. No one knows. No one knows. But, like, it sounded like... So, like, communists have never been, like, favorably looked upon. But, like, it sounded like it was really the atheist part that was, like, the deal breaker for everybody. Mm Mm-hmm. For the dad, I think, in particular. Um, Yeah. The mom kind of makes a show of being religious, but sounds like she's not super convinced. She she likes the jazz. The jazz music. She likes the jazz. She likes the devil's music. (laughs) So, yeah. Frangie's brother, not in the picture anymore uh and she has to be the one to step up and bring in money for the family she can make 50 dollars a month as a private and she can send most of it home as her allotment um her mother says if frangie's father was well he could go work for the bomber factory when it's up and running i'm not sure if she was referring to like the manhattan project or like a smaller bomber factory oh i totally imagined it was like an airplane oh okay just like okay I don't, I don't know nothing about war, <laughs> about the war. Well, I I mean, it, I could be totally wrong on this one, but I totally read that as like, oh, they're going to start manufacturing planes for the war effort, and he could go, like, you know, oh. rivet stuff to the wings at the factory or whatever. Oh, because a bomber is a plane, not a bomb. Okay, the er is important. It's not like <laughs> he could go work for the bomb factory where they make bombs. No, they're making the thing that they deploys did. the bombs. Oh my god, Casey. Fucking They did say bomber. Yeah. But but I like the idea that the, like, he could go work at the bomb factory cuz I mean, in my mind I would call that like an an ammunition. Yeah. Factory. Yeah. But I like bomb factory way better. <laughs> oh no. Which is why I was like, that's a weird, like, that's why my- That would be fucking weird. That's why my mind jumped to the Manhattan Project. Because that's like the big I was wondering where you were- Yeah. Yeah, I was told, I was like, they're nowhere near Manhattan. That's true. (laughs) That's the other thing. I had a lot of questions, but I was just going to roll with it. Before Jeff yells at me. (laughs) <laughs> Let's see if the Manhattan Project actually took place in Manhattan. <laughs> Are you googling? Yeah. It? Let's see. Awesome. Let's Oppenheimer Los Alamos Laboratory. Of course. In the Manhattan District. Okay. So yes. Fine. <laughs> I mean, it seems obvious that it would take place in Manhattan, but sometimes you just never know. You never know. And honestly, I was just, I'm just on a Watchmen thing now. Oh my god. (laughs) This whole thing gave me Watchmen vibes. 
Yeah. Oh shit. Doctor Manhattan. Uh. So yeah. Um. Not anything to do with that. That's just where my mind went. Hello, everyone. It's okay. He's probably gonna yell at me because like a bomber is a very specific type of thing that's yeah. like not an airplane. Even though I'm like ninety percent sure it's a t- it's an airplane <laughs> that we're talking about. <laughs> Oh, all the all the war boys, all the the dads that listen to our podcast are gonna come <laughs> the after war me. Boys. The Mad Max, the Fury war, boy. war boys. <laughs> That's like, it's like Jeff and Dan and Nate in a car, Fortnite, and one of them's like one of them's playing guitar on the French <laughs> shooting flames. They're coming for us. Oh no! <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! What a wild oh, ride! Oh no! <laughs> Oi, um, Frangie's adorable little brother, Obel, uh, comes up and he starts talking about his day and his friend who works delivering papers and he might be able to get a job delivering papers or telegrams to help out, (laughs) which, uh, child, um. Oh, he's so ambitious. I fucking loved that kid. I know. What's the help? He's just, yeah, he's just trying to help and he's clearly like a baby. I know. He's like eight or whatever. Yeah. Um, Frangie hears jazz music playing from a club down the street and she sighs wistfully. This is where her mother calls jazz the devil's music, but she's like jamming in her chair. Yeah. To the, to the music, which is kind of adorable. Um, Frangie's like, uh, Frangie tells her mother she thinks she's going to enlist and kind of like a taunting way. She's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to enlist. And her mother doesn't argue. And Frangie thinks, oh, God, I'm actually going to do it. Um, so Frangie's going to go take a walk, but she stops at the makeshift hospital in her backyard. She set up a couple pens with chicken wire inside containing a cat recovering from burns and a pigeon with a broken wing. I know. Oh, my God. I am in love with this girl right from the get-go. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Fucking going to be the medic. Um... So she checks in with them and she talks to them, which is really adorable. Um, Mm -hmm. And she sets off on her walk. She walks to what I assume to be downtown Tulsa. And it's busy with people out for a night on the town. Frangie is barefoot because she only owns one pair of shoes that she saves for specific occasions. And she thinks about the boots that she will get when she gets into the army. Uh, She walks to the Regents Club, which is lively with people dressed to the limit of their pocketbooks. Another really good line that I liked. Mm -hmm. Um, She she has like a probably the most wholesome interaction of a dude trying to hit on her. Like (laughs) there's she does. There's this (laughs) like this older guy who's like, "Hey, pretty girl," and she's like, "You're too old for me, Grandpa." And he pretends he gets stabbed in the heart and he laughs and he's like, why would you hurt me like that? It was really <laughs> adorable. Ugh. This is a nice little interaction that I it enjoyed. It was. It was beautiful. Um, so she's passing the club and she finds herself slowing down in front of it and she's listening to the music. She wants to go in and she cannot afford to. Um, and so she's just like jamming outside. And her thoughts are interrupted by a voice calling out her name, and she looks up and sees Dune Acey, who is an old schoolmate of hers. And he's dressed in an army uniform, with a single yellow chevron on his shoulder. Um, which, I believe, I looked it up, a single chevron is a private, two is a corporal, and three is a sergeant. Just four facts. 
Um, so they kind of shoot the shit, and she tells him that she'll have a uniform soon, too, because she's enlisting. And his smile fades, and he's like, why the fuck would you do that? He pulls her aside, and he's like, look, the basically the army is shit for black people. There are no black officers, and he's in the artillery, and they're using ancient cannons and old equipment, and all the white regiments get all the new shit. Basically, racism is alive and rampant in the army. Hooray! Who would have guessed? Uh-huh. Jesus Christ. Um, but she tells him that she has to go because her dad can't work and they need the money. And he seems to understand this. Frangie says her mother would have her go to college and become a doctor, even though she can't pay for the groceries. And Dune seems very supportive of her going to college, which is, was a very different view from a lot of other men at the time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, oh, you should be an army medic. And she asks if they would take her for that. And he responds that, like, do you think a white doctor is going to respond to a black person getting shot? And she thinks about it for a minute. And she is glad to have confirmation from him. And, you know, this seems to have opened up a new avenue for her. Uh, they listen to the music for the bit. And uh, he says that the guy playing the clarinet is a white guy. And jazz, jazz doesn't seem to care about color, just that you can play. Fringy has to go home, and Dune says to call on him if she needs help since her dad got him some work one time. She jokes that he shouldn't stick his head in the wrong end of a cannon because she remembers the car muffler that he tried to spit into mm-hmm. one time. Uh, he laughs and says that uh, he would say he was smarter now, but then he gestures to his uniform and says, <laughs> but look at me, how smart am I? It's it's a lot. <laughs> it's so much. It's so much, though. Yikes. God. Uh, there's so much to unpack. Yep, for sure. <sighs> so yeah, Frangie's not going into the war for any other reason than necessity. Yeah. And like, God, that conversation just really hit home for me. Like, just how tight her situation was. Like, yeah. That is, she truly has no other option. It's not like, you know, Ricklin doing it on a whim and like, yeah, she is trapped. Yeah, I did. I did love that she is taking care of a couple of animals and that that led very seamlessly into like, oh, like you wanted to be a doctor. You can be an army medic. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was all just very, very tight and well done. It was, and it, like, it built so beautifully that it didn't feel like, this is foreshadowing. Can anyone tell me the definition of foreshadowing? <laughs> like, it it was very beautiful transition. Yeah, for sure. Oh, fucking Michael Grant. Why are you so good at writing? Why are you so good at writing? Why are you so good at writing? It's, an, it's annoying for reading other books. How dare you? <laughs> Right. Oy. All right. We're back with Rio. She's on her date with Strand Braxton. Strand Braxton. Strand Braxton has never had a real job in his life. <laughs> <laughs> Strand uh. Braxton wants to buy your vote with candy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Christ. Uh, so this next part's interesting because she mentioned something like he was just some random boy that she never really noticed before a few days ago. And then she really started to notice him. 
And I, I just thought that was interesting timing because it's been like a week since Rachel died, I think. Yeah. So it's like, are are you just like now into him because you're looking for like a distraction or what's going on here? This so much, like so, so much feels like a fucking teen thing where like all of the sudden they've like made this big decision. And so they have to assign like specific meanings or like they feel like they have to do so like i feel like she's like i need to like a guy because like i'm doing this uh-huh. major thing now and i need to hit this life event before i oh, go like that sure. is so much how i read it okay yeah all right interesting fucking teens man fucking teens fucking teens that's a, that's a good read on it yeah so She's freaking out because their arms are touching and he and and oh my god, it's such a big deal. And she worries that he's not into her. Maybe she's too muscular, unfeminine for him. Um, you know, just just teen girl things, I guess. Teen girl things. She's like, I'm used to like hauling milk buckets. Yeah, I'm strong and rangy. Strong and rangy yep. farm girl. Oh man. Um he awkwardly compliments her. The movie starts. Okay, this is a really interesting sort of like historical piece because like you, you get to see kind of like how movies worked in the in the mm-hmm. old days. Like first, there's a sales pitch for war bonds. Then there's like a cartoon of Daffy Duck taking on Adolf Hitler. Um, Rio's not really paying attention at this point, and she's wondering if Strand is going to hold her hand and if anyone in the theater will notice because there will be gossip about them. Maybe it's a pity date because of Rachel. Um, she sees some girl named Jasmine who goes to her high school and Jasmine's watching them and like whispering to her date and blah, blah, blah. Um, there's like a newsreel that plays, um, and it's talking about Marines on some Island fighting the Japanese. Then there's a story about a movie star, a story about a fast horse, Alex. I loved that. (laughs) (laughs) That horse is so fast. He's a fast horse. Man of War is so fucking fast. Like, cause you know it's gotta be like Man of War or something like that. Like, yeah. nobody's. It, they're fucking talking. Talking, talking shit about Man of War. I don't know shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're talking shit. They're probably like, damn, this horse. This horse, this horse is so fast. Listen, this horse, he ran. He was real fast. It was He's the wild. He was fastest horse on the track. Yeah. He was the fastest horse on the track. You know what? There's other horses there. They were not as fast. But that's yeah, not what we won, care about. We care about this fast one. He won the the wreath. Yeah, he did. He he won the roses. The All roses. Of them. He's gonna mm-hmm. be a real good horse. Good for morale. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, that's totally true, though, right? Like, literally, people yeah. used to use horse racing for morale, and like, yep. you know, what would have been a really interesting story to weave into here. Is the story about Ruffian, because that was, like, the race that Ruffian ended up breaking her leg in was a huge race that they wanted to put on between her and the the male champion horse of the time. And it turned into this huge boys versus girls thing, like, at the racetrack. Like, all these women showed up, like, Ruffian's gonna win, girl power, oh, blah, blah, no. blah. Like, yeah. This is Ruffian has a very sad story. I don't know why I'm telling this story here. How did we get here? <laughs> <laughs> we segued into horse girls. 
Jesus, we did segue oh. into horse girls. Oh, if you ever run out of horse news, you should do like horse history. Although that might interfere with like Jenna's horse trivia. I don't think it will. I don't think Tim and I are good. Did you know that I'm in the lead right now? Yeah. You like slayed it on last episode. I but right now as of right now, it's ten points to seven points. Damn. Like total, cumulatively. Shit, that's awesome. I don't know how that happened. You know, horse is good. I don't. I don't. I do so bad historically at those quizzes. I don't know what happened. History's hard, man. It's all good. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, there was a horse. He was fast. It was all great. Um, God, God and then them fast horse. Yes. And then the last sort of newsreel thing is a fluff story about two be two bees. Two babies two being switched. Bees. Two babies. Uh, they were switched at birth, even though one was white and one was black. Uh, Rio studies the black baby and realizes she has never seen a black person in Jedwall Falls. There's oh, there's another cartoon. Yeah, like, fucking back in the days, the old movies, they just had, like, so much shit ahead of the actual movie. And not, like, previews. Like, weird oh, shit. Oh, yeah, like, uh, cartoons. Like, like, propaganda and shit. It was like when I went to go see Coco, and instead they played like the forty-eight minute special about Olaf. Oh, the fucking Frozen bullshit! <laughs> I was so pissed, Alex. Me too. Like we almost livid. left. I I'm like I'm here to see Coco, not yeah. Olaf. Get the fuck off the screen. No one likes you. No one likes you, Olaf. But like. I guess in the 40s, people were just like, gotta watch this 48-minute cartoon up front. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, we went on some field trip, and we went to a theater that would play, like, really old shit, and I just remember being bored out of my skull. Like, yeah. Because I think they played the old shit, and then they played the previews, and then they played the movie. There's only so many times one can watch <laughs> Steamboat Willie and not fucking lose their mind. <laughs> You see, you see Steamboat Willie once, you've seen it all other You, It's literally movie. the same five second loop of animation, just with different whistles. But yeah. the animation's the same. <laughs> you can see it every time there's a Disney movie. It's yeah. like part of the title credits now. <laughs> Christ, I'm dying. I don't know where we decided to come down so hard on Steamboat Willie, but I'm glad we're Fuck. finally taking a stand. Oh, it's the first cartoon with sound in it. Fuck off. Oh, fuck off. Anyone can whistle in a theater and say there's sound on top of this <laughs> fucking bullshit. It's this goddamn scam. <laughs> fuck Steamboat Willie. I oh, said no. it once, I'll say it again. Fuck Steamboat Willie. <laughs> I hate that mouse in his fucking no. wheel. <laughs> fucking pants and his shoes his fucking his fucking pants and his shoes his goddamn whistling what does he have to be so happy about oh god (laughs) 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 it's i don't even think it was the first cartoon was anyway whatever who fucking cares there's so many things ahead of this movie they get to the movie it's a romance movie at some point, Rio realizes Strand is holding her hand and she's jazzed about it. Cute. Oh, so how cute. precious. The movie is completely unremarkable because we don't hear any more about it. He walks her home. <laughs> yep. 
He fucking, he likes taking photos and she likes riding horses. He was That's what boy. they talk about. He was a girl. <laughs> she was a girl. Cannot make it any more obvious. Like, that's literally all it was. He took photos. She rode a horse. What, what? more can I say? <laughs> what more is there, of course? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, he also wants to be a pilot when he grows up and maybe deliver mail after the war. And she admits she hasn't thought about her future. Yes, you fucking have. You're going to be a housewife with babies. Yeah. Because you're a woman in the 40s. Bread on the fucking counter that's been dented with a thousand breads before it. (laughs) I didn't didn't summarize that part, but thank you for filling that in. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, 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 it's good. It's a it's a good line. I just I just couldn't I don't care about scene descriptions. Uh, no. It's it's so so fucking fair. I don't know why I latched onto that one. It's good. Like it's a good line. I just I just didn't care about it. No, that's just, it's it's fine. It's a fine line. A fine line. It's a fine line. Um so he walks her home. They don't smooch, but she wanted to. She uh, would have let him if he tried. She would have let him if he tried. Uh, she's all happy, and she goes up to her room and pulls out her stuffed bear that Rachel gave her for her fifth birthday. A bear, huh? Huh? Yeah. Um, and she's, like, talking to it and being like, oh, my God, I'm in love with a boy. Whatever. Um, at some point, she's just kind of chilling and laying in her bed, and she hears a woman's cry, and she goes out into the hallway, but doesn't hear anything more. She goes back to her room, looks out the window, and she notices a glow in the distance and realizes it's a fire! Um, she calls the operator and reports it, and then she decides to go for a walk since she's already awake, and Jedwell Falls is very safe for a girl to go wandering around at, like, one in the morning. Cool. Um... So she makes her way down the streets and eventually comes to the house with the fire and realizes that it's the stamp man's house. I'm the stamp man. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Sorry. That's mean. I did not expect that at all. That's horrible (laughs) and mean. No, it it was very funny. I just did not expect that at all. So sorry. Don't be sorry. Give it a minute. Oh no! Uh, sorry, we can continue. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry, everyone. The Stamp Man is kind of an urban legend in the town. No one's ever seen him, and there are lots of ghost stories told about him. Uh, he lives with his sister, who people think is a witch. His sister was a witch. <laughs> um, <laughs> and she. Uh, apparently brings back awesome stamps from the post office and he collects them and that's his whole deal. She, Rio sees the sister now. She's standing on the sidewalk crying for help and she's saying, Peter won't come out. He won't come out. Um, and she, Rio manages to get out of her that the sister lit the fireplace in her room and they hadn't gotten the chimney swept in a long time. And Rio looks and the fire's in the upper floors and one of the windows starts to shatter and the sister screams for Peter. Uh, Rio hears this human noise coming from inside, but she can't really understand it. The sister seems to understand and shouts for him again to come out. But Rio notices a doubt and ambiguity in her tone. 
uh, Rhea looks around for someone to help to take this burden off of her, but no one's coming. Hesitantly, she climbs a step to the front door, and she's about to go inside, and then a voice behind her says, What the fuck do you think you're doing? Except without the fuck word. Um, <laughs> it's, it's her daddy! Um, she says Peter won't come out, and he doesn't seem surprised by this, and he says that that guy died a long time ago, and nothing can save him. But I guess I will try anyway. So he soaks himself with water from a hose and ties a wet rag around his mouth and goes into the house. Uh, Rio stands outside with the sister and she feels helpless and wrong for doing nothing. And finally, she can't take it anymore. She douses herself and follows him into the house. And she immediately gags on smoke when she reaches the second floor. She sees the fire in a couple rooms and one room is lit by candlelight and that's where her dad is. Uh, and the room is just like fucking stuffed with papers and letters and magazines, envelopes, and just like albums and albums of uh, postage stamps. There's a bed in this room and the stamp man is laying upon it. Like she almost screams when he sees him. He's got a stump where his right arm used to be. The right half of his face is completely gone. It's like sunken in and and like his jaw is exposed and he's like clearly been through something horrible and she's just freaked the fuck out. Uh, her dad's trying to talk to him, but he's holding a pistol and dad keeps calling him captain and says that they have to get him out of there. And the stamp man can't seem to talk, but he's like gesturing with the pistol. And when Rio's dad notices that Rio is there, he angrily tells her to leave and she does. Uh, she reaches the sister outside and then hears a single gunshot. Uh, a couple of minutes later, her father emerges with blood on his face. The fire truck appears and as the firefighters jump out, Rio's dad grabs the fire chief and whispers something to him. Uh, the chief then directs the firefighters to prevent the fire from spreading, and no one goes into the house. Um, and the sister sits quietly on the sidewalk, and Rio's dad leads Rio home. When they get home, Rio asks him what happened, and her dad says that his name was Peter McFall of the U.S. Marines, and he had a very bad time in the last war. Uh, apparently the fire was the last straw for him and he's been waiting for death for a long time and the fire took his stamps and what little he had left. Rio asks if he shot himself and her dad is silent for a while and says that suicide was unforgivable in his faith because it leaves you no chance to repent and atone. He bitterly adds as if he is not already paid for the right to sit straight and proud at God's table. Rio realizes the truth that unlike Peter, her dad has time to seek forgiveness. So yeah, wee for kids. Yeah, yeah. Aww. Her dad murdered him. Yep, he done. He done shot him. He done mercy killed him. I guess. Yeah. So that's I've... fun. We got from date to fucking that shit. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that was like the whole yo-yo arc of this chapter. We literally went from her laying in bed tracing hearts on the bear a week after her sister died. To yep. her dad helping helping this guy end it. Yeah. And, oh my god. I, I think that probably one of the most, probably one of my favorite details in this chapter. Because, like, the bear thing, the, like, flopping down into bed is very, like, cliche. But... Yeah. When she didn't just rush into the burning building. Like, she got the courage to go in, but it was second, it was later, it was after somebody else had done it. Like, I loved that detail. Because mm 
it's reads as so much more true. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. and then I, like this this chapter was brutal. It really was. Oh man, like you have this this guy who's you know ostracized in his own community. Mm-hmm. And he's got all this, like, you know, rumors about him. And you find out that he's, like, a survivor of World War One, mm-hmm. Like, and by survivor, I mean, like, barely a survivor. Um, yeah. And he has to be, you know, taken care of by his sister. And, like, the thing with the sister was that, like, you know, she was scared for him for being in the fire. But there was also kind of, like, a resignation about her just kind of being, like... You know, when Rio comes back out of the building after her dad tells her to leave, the sister's kind of like, is he dead? <laughs> like, she's accepted well, yeah. that, like, he's probably just, you know, wanting this. Yeah, I mean, well, it was clear that she wanted him to, like, come out and everything, but she I, she knew that he wanted to die. She knew he yeah. wanted to go. Like, that wasn't a question in her mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe that there was kind of like was... a... Oh, go ahead. No, no, no. You go. Um, Maybe there was also kind of, like, an element of, like, she would also be kind of free from the burden of taking care of him. Absolutely. Yeah, and, like, feeling guilty about that. For sure. I'm sure she did, but, like... And also, I think, probably had to be scary for her, too, because where is she gonna go now? That was yeah. who she lived with. Is does she have anything to her name? Was it all with him? Like Yeah. Man. It's yeah. all bad. It is all bad. There is that. <laughs> I also think this is gonna be foreshadowing uh for Rio. Like, I think she's gonna get into a situation later that's gonna be like she's gonna have to like she's gonna want other people to come and help but there won't be anyone and she has to do it like i think this was kind of like her her practice run uh yeah this was like this is like the first time it happened and we'll see the echo of it later yeah yeah for sure like like jake in the yurks in the hot tub situation (gasps) yeah oh my god oh no oh no alex (laughs) (laughs) oh no oh no what have we done? Fuck. All right. Let's meet our third and final protagonist, allegedly. Rainy. Uh, Rainy. Rainy Shelterman. She is 18. She lives in New York City. And she is currently being screamed at by her mother in Yiddish to the tune of something like, you're not my daughter. My daughter doesn't shoot people, even Nazis. And this was the moment I realized that every single protagonist has an opening in which their mothers are, like, chastising them. Mm-hmm. Which is so cool. I didn't realize it until this moment. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, I love that so much. Yeah, me too. Um, Brainy thinks her mother's being very dramatic um, because her mother has disowned her more than once, like the time she added ketchup to her scrambled eggs. So this is <laughs> par for the course, apparently. That was my favorite thing. Like, she gives a laundry list. Of, like, reasons her mother has disowned her. And, like... <laughs> they were very minor infractions. They were so minor. But the ketchup to the eggs is probably the best one. <laughs> oh, no. Like, <laughs> the comparing that to, like, what her mom's yelling about <laughs> right now is right. just, like, jarring. 
No daughter of mine will shoot a man, even a Nazi. Yeah. No daughter of mine will add ketchup to her scrambled <laughs> eggs. Like, uh, Ooh, I love it. One for one comparison right there. Absolutely. Same situation. <laughs> it's exactly the same situation. Uh, the ketchup is a metaphor for the blood. For the blood, yeah. <laughs> Christ almighty. <laughs> Uh, oh and like even better is like the reactions of the other people in the room okay so rainy is telling her mother that like i'm not gonna be shooting anyone i'm gonna be in the army intelligence training school i think no guns and her dad is just like so fucking calm about it her brother's just winking at her and there's a family from the upstairs apartment who comes down to dinner and they're just like there for the free food like (laughs) everyone else is like like her mom's just like raging and like being kind of misogynistic and everyone else is just like oh this chicken is really good and it's just it's fucking great i loved it so much oh her dad was my favorite (laughs) (laughs) he i don't know if you're gonna summarize this so i'm so sorry if i'm oh no god stealing Uh, my favorite part was where like her mom's going off on this whole, like, you're a woman. Women women are meant to do women jobs and men are meant to do men jobs. And women yeah. should stay home and learn how to serve the man. And, like, her dad was just like, yeah, learn how to serve the man. Like, your mother, Rainy. Just like how your mother <laughs> always listens to me. And, like, it's clear that it, it, this the household is yeah. run by her mom. Like, Oh, for sure. I love oh. that so much. Yeah. Her family's just seems... It's just wacky and delightful. It's so <sighs> wacky. Like, it's almost like it really, um, it really reminded me of the family from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, I haven't seen that. Okay, it's this Amazon show that's that's very funny. It's about uh, this this Jewish woman who gets divorced and becomes a stand up comic when she has kids, and like her parents and her family and her ex husband, like they all have very like modern relationships for the time. So it's about like all the fallout surrounding that, and, like how she has to hide her career even as she's getting like famous. And that sounds great. It's I really enjoy it. So okay. like it very much reminded me of that because like her family is dysfunctional in the same way this family's dysfunctional. Sure. Or at least similar enough ways. Okay. I should check that out. That sounds good. It's it is a good show. It's an Amazon show, so sweet. It's my recommendation. Cool. <laughs> Thanks. <Yeah>. Anytime. <laughs> Okay, so after a somewhat chaotic dinner, um, Rainey's dad pulls her aside and asks her if she remembers her cousin Esther, who lives in Poland. Ooh, yeah. Yep. Um, And he informs her that no one has heard from her in over a year. And since Rainey is going to be doing intelligence work, maybe she can look into it. Um, And she's kind of horrified. She's like, I'm not allowed to disclose anything I find out in, in the army. And he says he understands, but she not only has a responsibility to the army and the country, but also to her people. And she just kind of excuses herself to go help clear the table. And afterwards heads up to the roof of her apartment building. And she takes a minute to look over the skyline before her brother joins her with some tea. His name is Arye. And he compliments her on keeping her composure through the dinner. And she replies that she has spent the last 13 weeks at boot camp being shouted at. Um, And then they kind of talk about her signing up for the army. And she's like, do you think I'm crazy for doing that? 
And he says, yeah, a little bit, but not as crazy as joining the Marines. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't exactly know. It sounds like the Marines are doing like a majority of the actual fighting based on the information we're given. God, I'm going to say some shit and I'm going to regret it so much, but Uh-oh. here we go. Okay. Um, so that's like, I believe always the case because the Marines are the one branch that is the president's army and not oh. required. Like, cause the government as a, some collective within the government tells the rest of the branches what to do. The Marines are directly under the president's order. So they are deployed usually the fastest because they only need that approval to go. Yeah. I am going to regret saying all of that. I'm sure. Cause it's probably fucked. (laughs) I mean, that sounds like my fucking brother was in the Marines for 10 years. I should know this, but um, he was one of the first deployed to Iraq actually. Um, so at least that makes sense to me. Um, I mean, I, that's, that is my understanding. I like, I feel like that maybe is a bit of a more modern understanding than is strictly true for this era, but like, I'm, uh, someone will correct us. Yeah. Yeah. I was about to say someone will, someone will write <laughs> in and be like, well, actually, and that's fine. Yeah, you, you can well actually fun. us. I don't know why we're giving him permission. It hasn't stopped anyone in the past. (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. (laughs) Wah, wah. (laughs) Um, So Rainy assumes that her parents don't want her to go into the army because they want grandchildren. But Arya says they just want a daughter and she is the favorite child with all the brains in the family. And then she makes a joke like, oh, yeah, you got all the looks. Oh, poor you. (laughs) Um... They talk about intelligence school. It will last eight weeks. And they picked her because she can speak German as well as like six other languages. Mm-hmm. Um, but she doesn't speak Japanese. So she re- she won't be running into them out in the world. And her brother jokes that the Marines will be handling that. And she thinks about how the Japanese must be having a similar conversation about killing Americans. And she's upset about this. Um, so Arie sees her getting worried and he tries to reassure her. And then he invites her to go hang out at the USO club to meet some friends, but he knows she'll say no. Um, and she can't get off this topic. So she's like, um, she, she wishes he had joined the army, that it was safer than the Marines. Um, and they talk about how he's taking the train to California and then to Hawaii for his first assignment. He's trying to like downplay everything and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to, you know, go soak in the sun for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. but she's clearly very worried about him. Um, and then he tells her he's actually going to the USO club to meet a girl. Her name is Jane. And he sort of proposed to her. Rainy is like, okay, wait, what's going on? There's a problem, isn't there? She wriggles out of him that Jean is not Jewish. Jean, Jane, sorry. My autocorrect was malfunctioning. Jane is not Jewish. Uh, she says their parents will kill him for marrying a non-Jewish girl. He's like, I know, and he wants Rainy to help explain it to their parents. Um, And then he explains that he wants to marry Jane before he ships out so she can have insurance. Rainy then realizes that Jane is pregnant and she smacks him across the face for being an idiot. Yep, she does. (laughs) She sure does do that. She directly across the face slapped him. Smack, you dumbass. You Um, fucking dumbass did they have condoms back then 
Don't yeah, they did. Yeah, condoms have been around for like hundreds of. They used to make them out of sheep's bladders. Oh, or fun. not bladders, sheep's sheep's stomach. Sorry, sheep's stomach. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, so, condoms have been around for fucking ever. I don't know what happened then. Um, <laughs> but two Arie... people love each other very much. <laughs> Um, Arya says he does love her and he wants her to be taken care of. Um, but even if he sends his whole allotment to her, it won't be enough for her to live in New York and she will need help. Rainy says that she can't help very much. She will only just make under 600 a year, uh, which is apparently about like $10,000 in 2021 money. Um, wow. But, uh, yeah, it's not a lot. That is um, so little. <laughs> it's, it's shitty. Um. But ultimately, she decides that she is, of course, going to help her brother. So, yay! Yay! More shenanigans. Yeah, what a wild ride. Yeah. We have, like, the person who kind of signed up the most willingly, I would say, of the three. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, she's got this, you know, info dumped on her right before she ships out. And it's like, oh, all right. This complicates things. Yeah. All right. Back to Frangie. Uh, she's talking Yay. to she's talking to her pastor. Um, she informs him she's enlisting in the army. She won't be able to sing in the choir anymore. Um, she tells him about her situation and that he's, she's trying out for a medic. Um, the pastor says even if she's stitching people up and not fighting herself, she'll still be part of it all. Part of a war of white men killing Japanese men and other white men. Uh, he told her the Bible says to love above all, and it's hard, and that's hard to follow in a war. She asks him if he's ever been in a war, and he says no, but he has counseled other men who have. He knows of only one who has acknowledged taking a life, that it was a situation of kill or be killed. He goes on to say that the Jewish faith says that a single life saves the world entire, but that real life is more complicated than that. What happens if you save a man who then goes off and kills another man? <laughs> what that good good animorphs nuance shit yep. <laughs> yes it does uh, no no good or bad only yeah only, more only gray only just gray. gray um the pastor asks what she would be fighting for and she can't really answer him and she asks him should i not go and she thinks to herself it would be easier if he forbade it as if she was giving herself an out. And he says he can't tell her to go or not go, that she should let her conscience guide her and pray and follow her heart. He hugs her and says the entire congregation will pray for her. When she is ready, he will send a couple of deacons to accompany her because some white folks are not happy about black people enlisting. So she heads out to the enlistment center with two elderly deacons in tow and though there is a line of mostly male black recruits, a crowd of young white men has also gathered, loitering and hassling and heckling them. A white cop stands nearby, perhaps ready to step in if the white folks start something, definitely ready to step in if the black folks object to being mocked. Fucking great sentence. Yet again. Yeah. Hey. Um, Frangie considers coming back when the line is shorter and maybe the white guys would be gone, and she hesitates. She feels sick and angry that she's even in this position. She didn't want to do this in the first place. She doesn't know ev why the deacons are even here, because they're old and helpless in the situation, just mm -hmm. as they were helpless during the race massacre. 
She dismisses mm-hmm. them and assures them it will be worse if she stands in line with bodyguards and maybe she'll be left alone if she's just by herself. They agree with her and she joins the queue. And of course the white guys immediately notice her and start being just absolute assholes, saying absolutely horrible things to her. And even though Frangie has heard all of this and worse, she still feels sick in sick to her stomach. Um, and luckily the white guys start scuffling amongst themselves and provides a distraction and she's able to get inside the building. An hour later, she's officially an army recruit by her own conscience and the promise of a paycheck for her family. When she gets home, she tries to smile for them and her mother just gives her this look of resigned sadness. Frangie says she's shipping out tomorrow and her mother says she had best get her wash done then. Wee! <laughs> oh God. Oh man. Good fucking times, not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something that's like so sad too about like we see Rainey's mom who's like screaming at her like, You're not my daughter, blah blah blah. Oh, yeah. And then like Frangie's mom is just this resigned, like, I don't want you to go, but you are the only option. Like this yeah. is the only option. Yeah. I'm I'm interested to see how Rio's parents react. Yeah. I guess we didn't technically get that. But yeah, like the comparison between the parents is just like ah. Uh... Yeah. All right, last chapter. We're back okay. with Rio. She's jammed in a pickup truck with Janu getting a ride from some poor guy named Toby who Janu likes exploiting. Um Tobias. So- oh, Alex. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm I didn't sorry. Real- no, I didn't realize. Fucking Me either till you said. <gasps> oh no. Oh no. How could they have done this? Oh, no. Why oh. did they do this? Why did they do this to me? Oh no. Now it's just hit me the implications of like what if Oh my god, can you imagine a scene where, like, Tobias has, like, a reunion with Rachel's younger sisters and, like, has to interact? Ah! Okay, sorry. Let's move on. (laughs) Shit. My fuck. Oh no. Okay. Try to to work our way out of that swamp pit of despair. Oh Um, no. We artaxed ourselves into a bad time. Oh man! Okay, 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 okay. Fucking Tobias is here. He's driving. He's driving the girls to the enlistment center. Um, Rio's freaking out. She won't be able to enlist because she's not eighteen. And Janu jokes that she looks eighteen except for her bosoms. And Toby gets all blushy about it. <laughs> Toby's just trying to fucking live his life. I like Toby is. <laughs> Toby has zero lines in this book, basically, but, like, Toby is so put upon already by Chanel. I know. God. (laughs) Poor guy. Um, So they get to the center, and they spot Strand standing in line. Um, Janu starts antagonizing her about Strand, and Rhea thinks back to the night of the date and to the fire. Um, she thinks about how this sister had to care for the Stantman for over 20 years and 
how she would have had to care for Rachel or Strand were she in the same position. And she would do it, of course, but how awful would it have been to have no life but to be a nursemaid? Um, mm-hmm. and then she realizes that she's enlisting and she might be the broken person in need of constant care. But no, of course, that would never happen to her. Dun, dun, dun. So they approach Strand and Rio starts freaking out about it. Strand is trying to play it cool and he pretends that uh, he thinks that Rio is coming off to see him or coming to see him off and Janu announces that they are signing up too and there's like this weird sort of like game that they're playing where Strand is trying to pretend that he and Rio aren't dating but Janu is also trying to pretend that she doesn't know that they're not dating but she totally knows. I don't know. It's some weird teen shit. Yeah. <laughs> But That's basic- exactly what it is. Weird teen shit. Yeah, it's this weird game that I don't... I don't know. Maybe it's to prove that, like, oh, they're just innocent teens getting in over their heads. I don't know. I think it was totally just Rio trying to not admit to Janot that she had gone on the date and not told her about it. Yeah. I don't know. I got tired of it after a while. Um, yeah, it was it was a hard game to follow. It was. And basically the main takeaway is that they all like went out to this far uh, enlistment center not near their town so that their parents couldn't try and like talk them out of it or drag them home or mm-hmm. anything. That's the important part, yeah. I guess. Yep. Um, I, I mean, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they leave Strand, uh, Janu confronts Rio that she knows about the date, um, and whatever. The girls go sign up, and the sergeant says something like, oh, I never thought I'd see the day where girls were in the military, but he lets them sign up, and sends them through another door for processing. There are corporals and sergeants stamping their forms, and Rio can't help but think that it sounds like gunshots, and she finds herself thinking again of the single gunshot the night of the fire. They get processed. They almost go in the wrong door for their physicals because they are separating the men from the women. They get embarrassed because they have to strip down to their underwear. And Rio starts fretting about her figure. Um, There's a male doctor doing these exams. And Rio notes that he seems bored and is surprised by this fact. Janu suggests he might not like girls. And Rio is very, very naive about all of that. Um, The doctor quickly and grumpily processes them, commenting that they are both strong country girls. And the Great Depression took a toll on a lot of the aspiring recruits. Uh, They go into another room with a bunch of other brand new recruits and say the oath and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. They are now members of the U.S. Army. Rio catches Strand's glance from across the room and thinks, oh, my God, we're soldiers now. And that's the end of the first part of what we're doing. Yay. Yay. Oh, God. Yeah. What a wild book. Yeah. I really loved it. I really, really, I really love this book. I'm on board already. I'm excited. Thank God. I'm so glad that you're on board already. Because, <laughs> like, as I was reading through this, I was like, oh, this is so much an Alex book. And, <laughs> not, <laughs> like, not that, like, you you are, like, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to, like... <laughs> stop you from reading it or anything like that i just i was like oh no i hope casey finds this to be a good book and is interested in it and has a good time as opposed to just me (laughs) well like i i know what you're trying to say like this isn't something like if i didn't know anything about michael grant or anybody this is not a book i would have gone to the library and like picked up and been like oh this Mm -hmm. looks really good 
Um, mm-hmm. So this is, I think I you know mentioned earlier in the podcast, like I don't usually read historical fiction, but like, so this is a little bit outside of like what I would pick for myself, but I'm yeah. already really loving it. So I'm okay, glad good. for that. Yes, I'm glad you are loving it. Yes. This would be a long several, several months if <laughs> books you hated. Oh, no. So, is this actually a trilogy? Like a serial sort of trilogy? I believe so, yeah. Okay, because, like, in the back of my copy, there's, like, there's, like, covers of the other two mm-hmm. uh, books in the trilogy, and they each say a Frontlines novel on them. Not like yeah. book two of Frontlines. Or like book yeah. two of the Frontlines trilogy or something. One doesn't conclude though. Like one doesn't conclude in a way that would make me yeah. think like, oh, and now we're going to hear from four different girls or whatever. Like one doesn't conclude. It's like, and, and next time, like, you know, find out more in the next one, you know, kind uh-huh. of a thing. So... I believe it's a real trilogy without having read the other two. I believe it is a real trilogy. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yay! I'm excited. I really like it so far. Yay! I'm so glad. Do we? Okay. Can I do Can I do more predictions? I already kind of did predictions for Rio. Like, okay. Yeah. So yeah, Rio's do gonna more predictions. Be... Yeah. So Rio's going to be, like, frontline soldier girl. She's going to go through all the physical rigors and she's going to be doing like crazy fighting um i think janu is also going to be doing that and she's going to be like what the fuck i thought we we're going to be in the office and uh, i think something i think some i mean something bad's going to happen to all of them but i think i kind of wonder if janu is going to like get disfigured in some way kind of like a taylor situation where, oh like, i was just thinking a taylor situation yeah because she's like very beautiful and she like knows it oh. and you know she like uses it to her advantage and it seems in some ways i'm wondering if like that's gonna get taken from her kind of mm-hmm. i mean at least one of them's gotta die for sure oh no yeah probably um, and I don't remember which one, which of the main characters Michael said was the lesbian. You don't have to tell me, but, um. I, I, it does not come up in book one. It doesn't? No. Oh, spoilers. I guess everyone. <laughs> well, spoilers for us, too. Well, I mean, he, <laughs> he said it in the interview. He did. That he made one of them gay, but I don't remember which one it was. I have suspicions. I don't know that it's one of the main female characters. I think it's maybe one of the males that comes up. I thought he said it was one of the three girls. He might have said that. I don't remember. I don't don't remember for sure. Okay. All right. We'll find out, I guess. We'll find out together. Yeah, we will find out together. (laughs) Um... Okay, Frangie's going to be medic. Um, and then Brainy's going to be intelligence. I, I Brainy's probably going to be the one to find out about the concentration camps. Um, oh, God. Which that is, ugh, hurts. Yeah, that's so shitty. That's so shitty. And, like, oh. she's going to have to know and not. Oh. That sucks so 
bad. That sucks so fucking bad. That sucks the worst amount. Oh my god. Fuck. Uh -huh. Oh man. Oh. Oh no. Well, I'm sad now. I mean, I'm yeah. sad about all of it, but... Yeah. Oh. Me too. That realization with Rainy, like, really hit me this time. Yeah, as soon as he said, like, oh, your cousin Esther in Poland, I was like, oh, no, dear. Yeah, because I remember the first time, like, I don't think that landed with me. Because, like, I remember reading that and thinking, like, oh, like, I wonder... I don't know if I, like actually internalized that it was in Poland. I think I thought mm -hmm. that he, they just meant like a cousin stopped writing because it was like war times and things were hard. I didn't. And then like this time I'm like, oh, in Poland? Fuck. Oh. Like, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. 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 I feel so bad for all of them. I know. Mostly I'm, Rainy and Franchi. <laughs> I'm so scared. Yeah. I'm also... This is going back to the whole, like, dudes writing ladies thing. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's a big debate right now um, in not just the book community, but, like, in content creation in general about, like, if you are writing characters that have a different, like, background and stuff than you. Like, if you're writing, like, marginalized community characters. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, I'm interested to see especially for Frangie how like that is handled and like kind of how that is received I yeah yeah cause like the big debate is like if you're like a cis straight white person like should you write you know characters with different you know backgrounds and like shit marginalized aspects other than you at all and risk like misrepresenting or like perpetuating harmful stereotypes or should you only write straight white people characters but then then have no fucking diversity in your work and it's yeah. like I don't exactly know where I net out on that so yeah that's that's just something that I, I think about when you know just writing a couple different women from different backgrounds so I don't know yeah I feel like this this read through I was hyper aware of if I thought the voice rang true of all the women uh-huh and I I mean so far so good for the most part mm -hmm. there's been a few things where I've been like eh, I don't know but oh yeah yeah like I for me it was almost entirely in these first few chapters for me the after the date like flopping on the bed tracing hearts yeah. on the bear writing okay her first name and his last name in her notebook. And I was I, like, oh, fuck off. I felt the same way. Like, <laughs> I felt it was a little over... Like, I know what he was trying to do. Yeah. yeah but yeah. it he felt He was trying a to little, create a juxtaposition. Yeah. And being like, she's the naive, like, romantic girl. And yeah, still, exactly. It was still kind of like, mm, it's a little overkill, maybe. But I don't know. Yeah, but that being said, like, when the fire that same night mm -hmm. became commingled with the date, like yeah. that I thought was brilliant. So like, I don't want to change it. <laughs> yeah. And like Rio obviously has like other things going on in her mind. Yeah. Like she oh. has more character depth than just being like, I'm a shallow girl with a crush on a boy. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, I'm I'm completely not worried that all of these characters will be complicated, multi-dimensional, you know, realistic sort of. Oh people. yeah. But like, yeah, I don't know. Something to chew on. It is some. It's definitely something to chew on. And I mean, that's a, so much of a broader conversation than what we're qualified to oh. cover here. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, the first part of Frontlines. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited for this series. Like, I, I feel like I say that about every single one of them, but like, just having read the first book, I I loved it so much. And mm-hmm. I'm so excited to like see where the other ones lead. Me too. Just feeling it. It's going to be good. I'm ready to get emotionally destroyed again oh my god yeah like holy shit like just thinking to some of the like some shit that's coming out like god michael's so good at fucking destroying us like i'm i'm so excited i love it like this and this is like it's already a lot of what I gravitate towards in, like, Animorphs and in Endling uh-huh. and all that stuff is, like, this aspect of it. So, like, to see it, like, play out in its full form is really interesting to me. Yeah. So. Yeah. Also, I love the cover of this book. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's really, I, I'm feeling it. It's, it's very striking. Yeah. It is it is extremely striking. It's probably one of the most like this is gonna sound super weird, but it's like one of the most expensive looking covers that they have. Okay. If that makes sense. Like in the way that like if I saw this on the shelf, it's right next to like the Great Gatsby cover. That's like the thirtieth edition <gasps> yeah! where they got the most expensive illustrator they could. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely evokes that for sure. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those situations where it's like art school told us that like symmetry is not interesting, but I love that it's symmetrical. Oh yeah, it it can be because it can create so much tension. Like yeah, man, <laughs> art school, man. <laughs> yeah, I've I've never minded symmetry. I think it looks fine in most cases so yeah <sighs> like i get what they're saying with like oh it's boring blah, blah blah like i get where you're coming from with it but that's not always true yeah it can be used very effectively mm-hmm. fucking get your pretentiousness out of your ass sometimes for real for real art school okay i think those were all my thoughts what do you got uh i think i got it i got them all out along the way Cool. I'm so fucking pumped for this. I am too ready. Yes. It's it's also like really different for us. Like this is a real different feeling book for us. It is. And like I'm not entirely sure like how how to like joke around with in this book yet. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, like I don't know. <laughs> yeah yeah agreed like it's it's so much heavier mm-hmm. and it's based on like 
you know, real sort of, at least a real, like, setting, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, there's, it's a lot to consider. Like, I mean, not that we ever want to, like, treat Animorphs with not the gravity it deserves because it's aliens or whatever, but, like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is, this is new. We're in a a whole new ballgame. Yep. (laughs) All right, should I do the, do the the endings? Do the things. All right. If you want to write me an email about Frontlines, you can do that at either anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com or the Apple Grant Book Club at gmail.com. Now that we're talking about all Apple Grant works. Uh, you can also tweet at me at Animorphs Anon or at Apple Grant Cast, maybe? Yeah. That's all right. Yeah. Perfect. You can uh, also Instagram us at Apple Grant Cast or Animorphs Anonymous. Or you can, I guess, throw your comments into the void and hope that one day it floats into my presence. (laughs) Or Facebook, I guess. That will work, too, which is, again, Apple Grant cast. Or you can find our Facebook, uh, Animorphs Anonymous, and join our super secret, super awesome subgroup, the Andalite Bandalites. So those are all the ways that you can reach us. Except for one more. One more, and that is you can yell at us directly. Don't yell at us, but you can talk <laughs> nicely to us directly at our Discord server. <laughs> um, and you can uh, hit us up on our email or any of our socials to get the link to the Discord server. And you can come hang out with us and other Animorphs fans. Um, we talk every day. It's a fun time. There are pictures of sharks sometimes. Sharks and cats sharks. and Aww. and other things like that. So, yeah, come hang with us. Yeah, for real. Come if you want to see the fucking all the shit we got wrong go down in real time. <laughs> get in that Discord. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, but if you are actually just delighted by all of our content and just sick of listening to us, but like could do this in like a kind of reading format, like Peace, <laughs> you got anything for that? Um, well, there's something that you could read that I create and make and draw with my hands. Um, it is a webcomic and it is called Beside You. And it is free to read at bsideyoucomic.com. It is free to read at Tapas and Webtoons. Um, and it is not free to read at Patreon, but you could <laughs> <laughs> you could throw me a couple of dollars and help support the making of the comic. And in exchange, you will get work in progress pages and fucking early access pages. You can read, like, future comic before anyone else. I'm... Very, very far ahead of the schedule. Sometimes I post, like, bonus art, too. So it's it's a fucking good time. And and there's a character named Slater, who is very well received by Alex and another friend of ours, Dan, uh, <laughs> that you can learn more about. Because apparently he's a cool dude. That is correct. And for only $200 a month on Casey's Patreon, <laughs> you can get the Slater cast, which Dan and I do together. <laughs> Oh, man. Someone one day is going to go to your Patreon and look for that <laughs> tier, and if it's not fucking there, 
Like, like, I think hey. you should put it in place. Oh, my God. And if someone subscribes, Dan and I will start the Slater cast. Oh, my God. Well, sorry. We've started it. Dan and I will continue the Slater cast. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Okay, I'm waiting for the day where somebody calls me out on, hey, where's the $200 tier? I'm going to do it tomorrow. Oh, my God. <laughs> you and Dan will get every cent of that $200. Absolutely not. Yes. <laughs> oh shit. Um, speaking of podcasts that you do with other people, I hear you do <laughs> so many podcasts with so many other people. What are some or all of those that I could listen to? Oh boy, howdy! Do I do podcasts with other people? <laughs> uh, if you want to stick strictly in the Animorphs world and not leave it, I suggest you check out Dungeons and Draken Beams, which is a, an Animorphs D&D podcast that I am one of the characters in, uh, run by the incredible Austin, who is the most delightful person in the world. And uh, it's like a homebrew 5e system where you can either play within D&D rules or homebrew build your own character with the stuff he's created, which is what I'm doing because I'm cool. Anyways, it's awesome. Uh, Check it out. It's a lot of fun. And if you like uh, people that have Animorphs podcasts, but you don't really want to hear them talk about Animorphs, then you can check out Horse Girls, which I do with (laughs) Tim and Jenna, (laughs) who both... Our uh, Animorphs podcast alumni, but we don't talk Animorphs. No, we talk the series Heartland because that's what's important to us in our hearts. Oh With an occasional <laughs> Animorphs land. reference. Yeah, we actually, uh, listening back to the past few episodes, we do usually like one, maybe one per episode, maybe one yeah. every other episode, throw out Animorphs yeah. stuff. So I catch them. Yeah. Yeah, it's in there. It's in there if you if you dig deep. You want Animorphs crumbs. Um, yeah, there's Animorphs Crumbs. If you uh, want to check out something entirely different, I'm on a podcast called Cadmus 2 Crisis. It's a Superboy podcast with David and Drew, who did talk on our Animorphs podcast for <laughs> Megamorphs 2 and the Time of the Dinosaurs and the second Alternomorphs book. So again, still relating it back to Animorphs somehow. Damn. Um, <laughs> Potentially, there's going to be one called Soup Salad Sandwich. I can't explain what this is. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just, no. It's with people that like Animorphs as well. And that's all I can tell you. <laughs> it's probably, like, of all the like ridiculous shit I do. This is a conversation for another time. Soup Salad Sandwich. Find it, I guess. <laughs> or don't. As Austin says, either listen to it or fucking don't. Oh, no. Oh, shit. Okay. Are you? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, shit. All right. right. Well, yeah. What are are our last order of businesses? I guess we got to talk about our YouTubes and thank our music lady. Yeah, we have a YouTube channel that we share with the Cadmus Crisis Blaze. Um, you can find that at Strong Shape International on YouTube's. Um, I'm attempting to upload a- archived episodes of Animorphs Anonymous onto the YouTube with an accompanying graphic that Alex and myself made. Um, so if you want to catch up on the podcast, you can go listen to that, or you can go listen to some episodes of Cadmus Crisis over there at Strong Shape International on YouTube's. 
Um, yeah, and then uh, if you like our our sweet sweet theme song, that was uh, created for us by our friend Jess at It's Rees Music, and we thank her so very much because I lo- I love that fucking theme song Me so much. Too. Even though we've moved on to front lines, I still just picture Bix and Tobble just making their way along the land. We can we can hit her up for more songs. She gave us a few. I'm going to go through the archives, see if we can do a front lines one, maybe. Oh. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, well, I guess there's nothing left to do but to go enlist in the army. Fantastic. I will sign up. I'm ready. All right. Let's march that away. Stamp it and stamp it, swear it. Mix up great at charger time. <laughs> <Use it. laughs> oh no! Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs>